just imagine being able to say that you literally do good. When someone says, how are you doing? I do good. This is somebody who does good. Stu Manowith is the guest on today's Disco Posse podcast. I had a really fantastic conversation with Stu. We're going to dive into why he and the team at Nomadic Software are doing really cool things. But in the meantime, speaking of doing really cool things and people that do good, good stuff is doing things like protecting your data. So shout out to our sponsors and supporters of the podcast, including the amazing people over at Veeam Software. I can implore you that this is the place you need to go to get everything you need for your data protection needs, whether it's on-premises, whether it's in the cloud, whether it's cloud native. Protect yourself from ransomware, protect yourself from just day-to-day making mistakes on the keyboard, accidentally hitting delete. Maybe Microsoft Teams, maybe Office 365. Look, we're losing data all over the place. Don't do it. Just go to vee.am forward slash discoposse and you can make yourself completely protected for just such an occasion. Uh, don't be a victim. That's uh, something I've learned the hard way. I lost some data here and there, and uh, then I got Veeam, and I got good. So, speaking of good, also, what's really good, not just protecting your data, whether it's at rest, but de- delivering it in transit safely using a good VPN. I say this because I use a VPN all the time, especially when I'm traveling or when I'm moving around, I'm using other people's Wi-Fis. There's a lot of weird stuff that goes on on Wi-Fi's when they're not yours. Heck, even when they're yours. Let's protect your data, protect your identity. And if you want to use a great VPN, you can head over and try out ExpressVPN. I'm a fan, I'm a user. Uh, so if you go to tryexpressvpn.com forward slash discoposse, you can get set up. And it is absolutely a must have in this day and age. It also helps you to cut down on some of the spam, the noise and the ad junk. Very, very cool. I also use it for web testing. All right. Oh, one more thing. Uh, You like coffee? I like coffee. I like it so much that I have a coffee company. Go to diabolicalcoffee.com. I got some really cool merch there, and I got some fantastic coffee that's roasted fresh every day. So go to diabolicalcoffee.com, and you can grab it. All right, let's get to the good stuff. This is Stu Manowith from Omatic Software. He's a thought leader, an advocate. Those aren't titles he gave himself. Those are what the world gives him. He's a great person. This is a great conversation. Enjoy this. This is Stu Manowith from Omatic Software, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. Stu Manowith, thank you very much for joining. I... I love when I get uh, a guest's uh, submission and it takes me all of not even hitting below the fold before I think it's an absolute yes. You um, are among a list of the type of people that I have a real respect and adoration for in what you're doing both directly. We'll talk about Omatic software. We'll talk about what you're doing today, but beyond what you do in your day to day. I'm a big fan already. I've loved your uh, other podcasts. I got to listen to some of the other stuff you've done. So I'm excited to be able to share some time with you. But for folks that are new to you, Stu, if you want to give a quick bio and an introduction, and we'll, we'll dive into your world at Omatic and beyond. 
Great. So thanks so much, Eric. Um, I'm Stu Manowith. I work at Omatic Software. I am, my title is uh, Director of Thought Leadership and Advocacy, but that means a lot of different things. And I think we'll talk more about those things uh, as we uh, talk for the next uh, little while. Uh, I um, have been in the field for 30 years. Uh, you know, I'm a man of a certain age. I started out working in the nonprofit sector the first half of my career. I worked, I, my very first job actually was in the performing arts. I worked at the Repertory Theater of St. Louis producing children's theater, but in doing that, I learned that you had to raise funds and you had to engage grantors, uh, et cetera. And, and I was uh, mentored, thankfully, by a brilliant director of fundraising who showed me how Grabbing funds from funders and then putting them to work is the best way to show how those funds are used. And so I learned a lot about the fundraising field. And then I worked. I went to work for a small educational foundation. And then uh, in 1996, I'm aging myself. I'm dating myself. I found myself working in healthcare. I was annual giving at a big hospital foundation, a big part of a big medical center. And I really learned a lot more about you know, about constituent relationship management and how to deal with donors and supporters and decidedly how to use data, how we how nonprofits use data really as the nourishment, as the lifeblood of their organization to interact with people, to raise money from people, to find what makes someone tick and then kind of hone in on it in a really good way, not in an exploitive way, but in a very positive way to help them meet their uh, philanthropic goals and philanthropic challenges. So I worked there for uh, about seven years and then I was called, some might say to the dark side, I thought it was a great experience. I went to work on the technology side of the nonprofit sector. So I went to work at a company called Blackboard, uh, which uh, is, at least one of the world leaders in technology for nonprofit organizations, uh, fundraising, CRMs, accounting, educational, education system management, exclusively for nonprofit organizations. I, wor I worked there for 13 years uh, from beginning of 2003 to the end of 2015. And then at the end of 2015, I moved to Omatic Software, uh, which was actually started by a, an employee of Blackboard to build a better mousetrap in terms of data and I've been here at Omatic for the past six years. Uh, I just celebrated my sixth anniversary at the end of last month. Wow, very, very cool. The, the thing that I really like is you know, this progression and the, the interesting realization. Now, I, I get into this often in the tech side of the world. So I came from the, the customer side of technology, working in financial services and designing systems and, and then moved over to the vendor side of the world. And I like you described sort of like the dark side of like one side of the business to another. And what was interesting is the more that I worked in the technology, I realized it was the, the business was intrinsic in how I would do technology, because I understood the business side and it led me to make technology decisions based on the business. Mm -hmm. And then when I worked for a technology vendor, I made decisions on how I did technology marketing based on the business usage. And then the sales team, the connection started to move together and I started to realize, oh, 
I think I'm in sales. Like in, in a way, there is a, a sort of a general acceptance. But the difference is like I'm understanding the story. I'm using data to drive decisions. I'm working with right. the relationship sellers. And it became a simple thing of understanding what is the funnel? How does the the the, the buyer's journey work? So now I, I look at, I'm a nerd, right? I look at nerd technology, but the first thing I think of is like kind of what's the buyer's journey? What's the adoption curve? What are all these things? Yep. So I look at your progression as well, career-wise, you know, lived experience that then you bring towards attaching, you know, a business wrapped around it. So it's a beautiful and natural transition to then... Yep running you know going going it alone so to speak though you're clearly not alone nomadic is is growing well and, and congratulations on on all the work that you're doing there but now it's this thing of combining those things together and realizing that there are systematic things that you can do in philanthropy mm -hmm. that will help to promote giving power and value to those like philanthropic investments, which is a people have trouble understanding where's my money go? Like, what does my money actually do? So it, it, it's so important. It's so important that donors and supporters and, and volunteers, anyone who is engaged with an organization that they feel that their time, their money, their input is it, that it matters. And what we want to do is we want to help organizations use their data to to do all of that, to, to benefit them from the bottom up, from the top down, from the sides in in every possible way. The um, But the point that you make about how we engage, how we engage supporters, how we engage people, people generally don't start out with an organization giving money to them immediately. They need to have some connection. Uh, was I was I cured? Was I educated? Was I uh, was I fed? Was I given a basketball to play with as a kid when I couldn't afford one? Was I um, uh, was I given food during the pandemic when I lost my job? And now I now I'm back now I'm back working and I can give back. So people have need to have generally have some. Uh, emotional tie and then the and that's and then that's where or organizations that are technologically savvy start collecting and using data to engage engage people and one of the things that has changed over the past 20 years and let's let's be honest about the time frame is <clears throat> how many different platforms and systems organizations have used. When I worked at uh, a Barnes Jewish Hospital Foundation in St. Louis, we had one system. We used one database system. There wasn't online giving in 1996, not very much. Uh, there, was, um, there wasn't email journeys or email marketing. We just had a single system. F fast forward 20 years and organizations are using one or very often multiple online giving systems, email marketing, peer-to-peer -peer fundraising, special events, volunteer management. Um, there may be a separate system for membership or for ticketing or for any of the different things that are needed. And those all lead 
to multiple data repositories. And so organizations that 20 years ago had a single system where all the data was stored now are facing it's not unusual for the organizations that we work with to have at least four and often up to eight or nine different places where their data come from. And that doesn't even count all the spreadsheets that people keep, right? So it's a challenge. <laughs> no, no, seriously. It's a challenge to amalgamate all of that data and keep it clean and keep it from getting stale and keep it from being siloed. Yeah, people always, they ask me, Name the, you know, what what would you name as the top used software in the world? And I would say it's Microsoft Excel. Right? Yeah, it, like, oh, it, unquestionably, <laughs> unquestionably. And people, what, what we find is, and I'm digressing a little bit, but what we find is people have shadow systems. It works for them. They're successful at their job using this spreadsheet. But what they don't realize is they don't have the benefit of data collected. How, what, let's say you've got a major gift officer and she's working with her list of 150 people and she knows what their gifts are, what their giving history has been, but she doesn't know what emails they may have opened based on some newsletter that they received from the marketing team that talks about a specific program. And so she doesn't know to talk about that program the next time she calls them. And so she's got a blind spot. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And this is the, the, where people would look at, especially sort of large giving philanthropy, and they often think it's purely a relationship and a life position type of opportunity. And obviously that's a big player, right? That where there's sort of like friends of the school, friends of the university, mm -hmm. friends yeah. of the hospital, right? They are generally people, you know, who are at a particular financial level in life, a particular, you know, and they're, they're familiar with the brand. But what we don't realize is that's almost like Pareto's principle, but that's a big portion of it. However, the other gap is, hundreds, potentially thousands of, of donors, of participants in philanthropy where you don't have a direct relationship. And look, the truth is, so that relationship seller has learned over time that, hey, I may have some key, uh, you know, contributors, so treat, you know, donors, whatever they want to talk about as, as the as discussion point or how we call them. But how do we acquire new faces and introduce people to this organization, to this brand, and then excite them about stuff. And so long gone are the Rolodexes where it's like, <laughs> yeah, but Jenny has a good friend and she in he likes to support the university. Okay, great. But you know what happens when Jenny's friends suddenly doesn't give money? What do we oh well, Jenny's friends actually has a has a friend who came to the newsletter. And like you said, they they clicked on the link because they saw something about a school program and like, oh, they're, you can start to then use that data. A absolutely, 100%. That, I mean, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head there. It is, and it's it's very tactical. It's not, it's not sexy and exciting. It's, it's, it's very tactical, but it's collecting as much data on these touch points coming from various sources. Most are, these days, most are different systems like email opens, email click-throughs, what people are clicking on, or um, volunteer opportunities that people even express interest in. They may not 
they may not follow through. But it's all of these data points that you that you can amalgamate and keep and then leverage by using other data about these people that you've collected and then figure out a, a story or a journey that that makes sense for them. And in the perfect world, there'd be a very personalized journey for each $25 donor. That's not practical. But with data, organizations can at least group people reasonably into reasonable size groups, depending on how big their staff is and what their resources are, and then build build relationships back on, based on that. And I am always surprised at really how how well that works when people feel that you care about them enough to talk about something that's important to them or on the flip side and you know this has happened to me by personal experience and this is again uh i'll kind of weave in you know some of this some of what omatic does but i made a gift last uh in I guess it was beginning of 2020 pandemic, so early 2020 to a large, well-known organization. Every, everyone, I'm not going to say the name because I don't have their permission to, but everyone would know the organization. Very well-known, does great work. I made a gift, and not surprisingly, a few weeks later, I got a solicitation for another gift, but I got two emails, two separate emails, and then I got two direct mail pieces. I, it may have been that one was addressed to Stu Manowith and the other to Stuart Manowith. And they, oh, may wow, had, yeah. they may have had my name in their database from a long time ago. And then I made a gift uh, in uh, March or April of 2020 that they didn't realize was the same guy. And so I started getting two of everything. And what that may, and, and I'm in the business, so I take it with a grain of salt maybe, but people who aren't think, you know, what the heck? Yeah. What, don't these people know that I'm only one person or how do, uh, what kind of systems that they use? They're mailing me two letters. That's twice the postage they need to pay. So it works both ways. It, it can bring people closer to you and it can also push people away if you're not careful with how you're using data. And, and, and again, to weave in what Omatic Software does, when we move data from say online giving to your main CRM, we check that. We we prevent duplicates. We will pop up and say, oh, and I'm it doesn't work exactly the way I'm telling you. It's on a screen with a, a user interface, but it's saying, oh, this guy, there's an 80% chance that these are the same people. Do you want to merge them? Do you want to investigate further? Or are they really maybe the senior and the junior and they are in fact two different people? But at least it gives you we give database professionals the opportunity to make those decisions so that they are really ultimately treating their constituents, their donors, and their supporters as best as possible. Yeah, and that really is the the thing that we experience and we, we, we get it all the time. So I've got my little trick that I use when I go to like events and I have to sign up. So I sign up in my name, I, I put it E-R-I-C, but I put the E and the R capitalized so that when I get an email, you know, I know the source. I, I can tell automatically where, where, whether this was me actually signing up for something or it was just an auto sign up from, you know, me just showing up at an event. You know what that also does? It also tells you who's selling their lists to whom. I'm serious. It does. So this is the funny thing. I suddenly, you know, you get an email from a company. I'm like, I didn't go to their booth. And, all, and you're like, 
wait a second, how did this happen? And you realize like, oh, wow. So they've probably done, you know, we call them list swaps, right? Or, or <laughs> right. you know, contact swaps, which in fact is illegal, you know, as far as, so, I, so I'm old school. I'm, we talked before we recorded because I'm Canadian for people that know <laughs> me and my odd voice and, and things I say. But the we we introduced something called Castle Canadian anti-spam legislation. Mm -hmm. yep. I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yep. That yep. it was onerous to deal with this. And I worked for a major financial services institution. So we suddenly went to the point where like every system has to be able to recognize Castle. And it was the it was opt-in required. It wasn't automatic. So there was like if you had an existing business relationship, that was one thing. But there is no way that someone could even, if they go to your booth, they had to actually that opt in, opt yeah. in, and it sort of switched the industry around. And so it was, it was funny. But like I said, in that experience of I'd I'd get something from a company, and I know how the systems work. So I was I'm like sometimes just curious of like ah now it makes sense to me, but I know how the machine works. And I see past it, like you said, like, but most people would be like, what the heck? I didn't go to this company like and they and now they go through their personal list of like, I'm not giving to anybody because this yeah. is what happens to my data. And it affects the whole industry when when bad practice, like unfortunate practices, even like like you said, just a simple thing of like, ah, oh, we accidentally sent a thank you. And it included somebody's name when it shouldn't have, or whatever you know. It's well, or or even even like my I'll, my dad, bless his heart, will and will key in uh, in all uppercase, and then he'll get the a letter that comes back to him in all uppercase, and he'll think, you know, what uh, what the hell, what yeah. what the heck, what what are they doing with my data? Not realizing that he's the culprit, but um, right. yeah. <laughs> but but but. There are tools like Omatics, for example, that will fix that. It will straight, it'll clean it up along the way so that data are pristine, and so people really feel like they are important to the organization. And it, and it's it's there's two pieces. There's that piece, and then to your point uh, a little bit ago, it is then <clears throat> reflecting back to people that their money was used wisely, what their money was used for, that the organization is being good stewards, that they are making a that they are not nobody individually but that together they are making helping the organization make its mission impact make the impact is that is consistent with the mission that it's trying to promulgate yeah this is uh, i was lucky i had emily gillette uh who uh, also for people that know the name was she's she happens to also be the wife of penn gillette of penn and oh Teller, yeah yeah, yeah. But, but I had Emily on. She's uh, strong in the world of philanthropy, and, and I had a huge respect for her through a friend. We got connected, and that was this whole thing of like finding an organization that you you believe in their mission and you believe in their ability to do good with what you give them. And every little interaction you have can influence your belief in the actual output of good and understanding the breakdown of the dollar I give to what the recipient will actually get. You know, we hear for years about this, you know, the 
difficulty of the cost of management. You hear about charities that, you know, for what, you know, have issues with you know, overpaying staff, underpaying the actual people that should be receiving the money. By doing what you're doing, you get rid of the need for that to occur, right? Like by giving good practices, giving good data management, we don't have to throw high dollars at administrative stuff because it it allows us to be more effective and efficient. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's it's both, and 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 you've made me think of of two things that I'm that I'm I wanted to talk about, and I'm now I'm happy to be given the opportunity. Yeah. So it is. So there's the there's efficiency. There's reducing expenses. That's very tactical. And then there's using better data to be more effective in driving revenue. So and both of those things, directly and indirectly, generate um, more. They generate more um, funding for an organization to use toward its mission, whether it's money that is saved from being more efficient or money, more money that is raised, not necessarily through fundraising, but maybe through programmatic fees as well, or whatever the the um, the programming programming direct programming revenue. Yeah. Um, but let me dig into uh, that just a little bit more on the expense side. If you can make your data management activities more efficient. If something that, uh, to use a very broad example, if it used to take you, I'm making this up, eight hours a week to key in data by hand, uh, philanthropic data or accounting data or what have you. And now through technology, you can, it takes one hour. That's seven hours that's saved that where people can be redeployed and and you're spending this end as a as a uh, executive team looking at it you're spending the same amount of money on someone's salary or on uh, someone's job but now you're getting them not to be doing data entry for eight hours but doing data management work for one hour and you can redeploy them to do other things that need to be done for seven more hours and so there's that is you you are um you're driving mission impact because you're redeploying people to do work that wasn't otherwise that otherwise you had to pay extra for or that just didn't get done. That's that's a on the on the on the flip side, if you have if your data is processed faster and it's better quality and it's no longer siloed and it's all amalgamated and consolidated and it can be used effectively, then You've got a. You're you are better able to be strategic about being able to get people to renew their donations, being able to convert people who were um, involved with the organization but not donors to become donors. You may even be able to get them to increase giving, or for organizations that. Uh, I, you know, I think I, my first job I told you was at the Repertory Theater of St. Louis. And when I think of revenue, non-fundraising revenue, I automatically go to ticketing. But if right. you can use data to get somebody who's a single ticket buyer to buy a subscription or someone who is bought a subscription to buy a second subscription or anything like that, you are increasing earned revenue. And then you can similarly use data to improve fundraising activity by, again, 
having it faster, having more of it so that you can uh, segment better. You can talk to people more personally. You can uh, communicate with them the right at the right time. And all of that is going to grow revenue. So by save by using technology to save money and by using technology to drive revenue more strategically, all of that is more funding for your mission. I know that I know that that's a mouthful and I get kind of passionate about it. But it's a hundred percent it's a hundred percent true. And we see that every day with the customers that we work with that were, you know, paper, paper everywhere, or that were you know, having uh, uh, spending hours keying data in and now they can or putting stuff in spreadsheets that someone else had to then key in. You know, it's funny. I, 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 we work with accounting systems as well. Uh, we, we have a, a piece, a big piece of our business is uh, transmitting fundraising and other revenue data to account to general ledgers so that it doesn't have to be rekeyed. And I said to somebody, I said, you know what, when, when the, term double entry accounting was coined it didn't mean enter it here and then re-enter it here (laughs) you know that's not what that's not what it meant and so um and and so a big piece of that time savings is we help organizations take that um revenue those revenue transactions and transmit them directly to the general ledger perfectly without having to be rekeyed and also easily reconcilable. So there's not that hunting and pecking for a missing transaction or something that got delayed in transit to the bank or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, this is a, it's a very important thing too. And you think of, these are organizations that may not even realize that this kind of data flow, this kind of analytics can drive things like, you think about you know a, a regional church. I, I had this joke with somebody. I said, imagine you're starting a brand new church. You don't sort of think of like, okay, who's our 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 prospect audience? And you know, I got four potential prospect parishioners. I got three moving into strong upside this week. Like, in the end, the the sort of funnel dynamics are always there. We just don't use the names. You know, we talk about new contacts and and you know their leads, their contacts, their prospects, they're in f- stages of funnel. But all that really is is that there are signals within the data that we understand about them in their journey, whether it's the buyer's journey, the giver's journey, whatever it's going to be, that if you look at the signals, you can better guide a positive experience towards the ultimate goal, which is to, you know, acquire, you know, get funding for for donations, get funding to to drive uh, drive good, and then the bonus is then you can spend the time showing them the value they're getting from that money going in, which then leads to. Oh, right. If I send an email it's, with it's, a response, it's the, it's the it cycle. More up, you know, more reintroduction. They 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 will be more likely to give a second time if we show absolutely them status a- reports. A- absolutely, yeah, right, right. In in the fundraising field, uh, we we refer to that as stewardship. Uh, similarly, to just stewardship is. This, the way the term is used in faith-based organizations, but the, it, it's absolutely a cycle. And there's been some studies that have shown that for a new donor to an organization, if they receive 
proper stewardship, meaning thank them for their gift, tell them how their gift is being used or how similar gifts have been used, and then resolicitation within three months, they are more, four times as more likely to make a second gift than if than without those things. And that that kind of retention and being able to leverage that kind of statistic is is imperative, but it's all based on on that cycle and on again using data to properly tell people what they're interested in knowing about and then re-engaging with them at the right time. But but Eric, you said something else about when you mentioned a church, something about technology that wouldn't have happened other than uh, when the pandemic started is really interesting, both in the faith-based uh, subsector and also in the arts, the visual arts subsector, not right. even performing arts to some extent. And that is organizations were able to broaden their reach to audiences that they never imagined that they would. With online technology, museums can offer exhibits across the country, around the world. Um, churches, people can attend church services whatever time they want, whatever church they want, um, and nobody has to know. Uh, uh, if you're Catholic, you don't have to be, you can go to a Protestant church if you want to test it out and from the comfort of your own living room. But what that has done is it has opened, it has expanded the reach of organizations the way they never imagined. I, I know of a woman who lived in Maine that sent her daughter to drama camp in Florida Wow. because she could. Yeah. Um, or um, we looked at an exhibit in Boston Museum of Art from our the comfort of our living room in St. Louis. Uh, and that kind of reach is is something that technology has afforded because of driven by the pandemic, but will obviously it will continue well after. And it gives organizations the opportunity to reach to reach audiences, prospective donors, even possibly prospective volunteers um, and supporters in a way that would never have been thought of. Even with the technology, it was the the pandemic made it, uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. It made people think about different ways to leverage technology in order to uh, be able to stay alive, to stay in business. Well, the, the, the thing that's... It I always look back and said, like, what are the what are the positive impacts of what's the most difficult thing that in my lifetime we've experienced, right? And it's tough to even say it because some people are like, how can you think this put something positive? I'm like, well, think about it. We've democratized access yep. to systems and services that prior to being forced into having to do this, right? How many organizations struggled with, you know, work from home. We're like, well, we, we just, it would really break up the dynamic of the company. Yeah. There's no way we can operate. Like in November of 2019, there was a lot of companies that you're like, hey, I, you can't get a job there because you'd have to come into an office and it would be a massive impact on your life. Well, all of a sudden, you know, especially for Canadians too, like back when I was getting into technology, you had to work for a Canadian tech company. There was no option to cross the border, to work remotely. You had to live near the financial center. You had to live near Markham, Ontario. You had to live near a, a tech center or drive to it. Right. And or now, so it's Valley, same, same difference. 
Yeah. So now in, in everything, in every sector, we've suddenly, as you said, you know, the, the invention has had to occur because of a real, real adverse situation. Yeah. But goodness, we really have learned great things from it so that if we do go back to a more, you know, location centric existence, we will really value why we do it more so than like you're forced to do it. It's not a good time to be in, in real estate, you know, investment trusts and such. Yeah, like a, right. It's a commercial, that, commercial real estate. Yeah, I know. I saw a commercial the other day and it was one of the things like, you know, invest in, you know, it was like, you've got people that are selling gold and silver and, and all God bless Bill Devane. He certainly is uh, must own a lot of silver and gold, but there was somebody that was pitching some kind of an REIT. And at the end, of course, it's like past performance is not indicative of future results. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'll say, uh, I would not be putting money into REIT right now because yeah. they're, those are going to be vacant spots, you know, sadly, uh, you know, I, I, I I really feel for the folks that are in that that sector because it's it's a going to be a struggle for quite a while. Yeah. But the uh, the, the other thing that really hits me too is when you can connect what you do with a real outcome. And sort of the joke I always say to people when someone says, "How are you doing?" I'm doing good. Like, no, Superman does good. You're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> so grammatically, we have to correct that all the time. But then I tell people, and I use this story at work and I show people, I use like kind of, I like to use strong imagery when I'm presenting. So I've, I'm working for a tech company, right? And I talk about what we do with software automation. And I show like a picture of, you know, a, a, a rocket. I'm a big fan of rocketry, right? So like, what does SpaceX do and, and how do they get to do that, right? And ultimately tying the business outcome to what the technology does. And like my my thing that I close with often, I, I there's a you've probably even seen the video of it. It's a, a little two year old girl who receives a cochlear implant, and the video is her hearing her mother's voice for the first time yep. in her life. And like if that doesn't stop you in your tracks when you see that stuff, and then so here I am like an audience full of people who are like a bunch of tech nerds, and they're just like. Yeah, it's not, no, I just started to get something in my eye, you know, like you really like in, in bring this thing forward. And I said, this is what we do, right? The, the, the Salesforce system you built, this is, this is what happens because of what you do. And yeah. I like tell them like, we do amazing things with technology and it's beautiful to be able to tie it to that. You know, you know, it's an, it's, it's an interesting, it's actually something I've not thought of, but that our, our technology, which, which again, I know I've probably said this three times already, which is provides tactical, very tactical solutions for organizations. If they leverage it properly, it allows them to leverage other technology like you're talking about right now that really can solve big problems like big medical problems or climate problems or um animal welfare problems or a, a medical research, all, all of the things that vaccine research, I mean, you know, all of the things that we, uh, that we think of when we think of technology for good, we don't necessarily think of importing data faster or right. um, transmitting uh, a, a 
revenue transactions to an accounting system. But that's kind of that's really kind of at the basis of it, because if we can figure out a way to streamline that kind of stuff and to make data data more accessible to organizations to use, they can go ahead and make more money, frankly, raise more money, uh, build more revenue to support that really cool tech that will help the little girl with the uh, cochlear implant or put a fast track on fixing our environments or um, or those kind of or building and building a new uh, uh, wheelchair I'm making it up you know b b yeah doing those doing those kind of high-tech things that people really do think of when they when they think of tech for good our tech for good is kind of the bottom of the pyramid but it's the most but I guess in my opinion it's the most fundamental it it is making sure that systems are working effectively and efficiently so that the so that organizations can drive the big stuff it's always it's and it's it's the perception even in the way that we describe some of the things which is tough right imagine if you got a friend who's a i've got a friend of mine he's a plumber he makes a disturbing amount of money doing it and he's like so people talk about it like oh it's just the plumbing he's like i'm over here i'm right here dude like i'm right <laughs> i'm in the room yeah yeah i drive a mercedes that's just the plumbing like you know pardon me but it's it's it, you know, guess what goes through a toilet? I deal with your stuff so that you don't have to, you know, and you're told right. I drive a Mercedes. But so we we have difficulty sometimes in seeing the importance of those like tactical things. But really, it's this is the opportunity for us to create a connection of turning data into insight and then yeah, turning right. insight into actionability. Like and whether it's empowering your, you know, your sales, you know, force or your your donor, you know, outreach force, you know, and whatever it's going to be, empowering them to do more with what they've got today, and to find more signals inside the potential noise of the amount of data that's out there. This is massive right this is yeah. effectively a almost a gutenberg revolution mm -hmm. in the fact that we can take what was seemingly an intractable problem of just like hey this is just the way the systems work people talk to people and they give money you're like no no no. what if we find out why what if we actually use like kahneman and tversky taught us more about economics and their behavioral psychologists right they won a nobel prize for economics as behavioral psychologists, because mm -hmm. they taught us about the heuristics that drive prospect theory. And then how did they do it? Well, they took research and data and anecdotal information, they combined it. So when it came to, you know, this stuff where whether it's it's giving back, whether it's local and regional churches, whether it's global, you know, giving organizations, if you can do take that data and turn it into true insight, mm -hmm. you find something incredible in the same way that, you know, Kahneman Tversky figured out that if you tell somebody they're gonna lose money instead of they're going to get money, their risk profile alters. Yeah, it changes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. What we wanna do is we want the organizations that we work with, any, any, we, we I, I think I mentioned it. We work only with nonprofits, exclusively with nonprofits. We want to, we want 
the nonprofits that we work with to understand that we can make it possible for them to amalgamate data from as many sources as they have, as many sources as they need, what, whatever engagement tools they, they find best to engage with their constituencies, we want to help them amalgamate that and then use it exactly as you say, to, to build insights, to drive their the next strategic thing they do to continue to engage existing supporters, new supporters, uh, people who have been with them for a long time and are looking for something new to, to leverage those connections, leverage those relationships, and and it, it becomes unstoppable. It, it becomes a uh, ever-growing concentric ring, and that's the image that comes to my mind, of, of data, relationship, stewardship, and then using that data again to drive the cycle. Your own. I, 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 does that make sense? I mean, I. I yeah. No. Absolutely. No. It's yeah. fantastic. And and yeah. you know, so looking in your own personal story, Stu, you've throughout your career, you stayed close to this ecosystem, and so I I would tend to think from there that there's something meaningful to you in being in a area to help with giving. What what drew you to this as a choice, even when given a business, you know, you talked about sort of going to the business and going to the tech, but it was always in an area where you're working with people in this ecosystem, in this opportunity to be able to give and create giving. Well, you know, it, it's, a, it's a really, it's a, I'm glad you asked that. It's a, it's a good question because I think that nonprofits are they're underserved they are under something I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word people don't give nonprofits in general in the US anyway the credit they deserve and my when I was in when I was when I was in the trenches when I was a, a fundraiser and a, a nonprofit, uh, finance director, I was focused on on my thing and on on uh, I was focused on my organization and on the success for that organization. When I went to work with Black for Blackboard, and I saw how many different organizations we worked with uh, at the time back in two thousand three, Blackboard had about twenty thousand customers. Now they've got twice that. I, what I what that helped me understand was all of the different organizations that need help that do things poorly not because the, the the staff aren't intelligent or not professional but because they're spread so thin and they don't have resources we could help blackboard and nomadic for sure we can help organizations just do better and that just is uh, to say a turn on is that is that a, a bad thing to say that's just a that's just a turn on for me is to know that we can help organizations be better do better be more effective in how they in, in now, now in Formatic, use data, but in when I worked for Blackboard, use systems to just be better at what they do so they can they can 
get more basketballs to poor kids or get more meals to families or get the next vaccine developed or educate people, give them scholarships, um, give them a, a rewarding faith-based experience, give them a great show to watch and exhibit to see. I'm trying to look at all the different subsectors that we work with, but um, it, just to able to make them be able to deliver their mission better just is a is very rewarding for me. Um, and what I learned was I can do it more and better working for a company that serves the sector broadly than for any individual nonprofit. There's there's plenty of great fundraisers and nonprofit executives out there. There are less of us who um, work in companies that are committed to serving the sector and bring the best technology to them. And I'm I'm proud to be able to do that kind of work. Well, and it is it is the beautiful combination of your personal giving to the world through what you do, in that you can have a greater impact both directly and indirectly with this. And this is why I, I really enjoy, in fact, your your progression is, like I said, it's a, it feels like that true natural progression of like, number one, I can directly give back, right? I'm, I'm on the ground, boots on the ground, day to day, making sure that my organization is able to thrive and our community can thrive so we can we can give back to them. Then you move to understanding the sort of, the systems approach of things at a larger scale. And then from there you say, well, I know how it works directly. I know how these systems are built in order to support this, this industry and this ecosystem, but I see the problem, right? So now you yeah. ultimately have gotten to the, the problem statement because of the scale at which you could work. And then you make an active choice to say, I'm I'm going to go and solve this, right? And I can't do it here because my role mission would not allow me to sort of step out and say like, "Hey, folks, I think we've got a problem here." Like they're like, "Sorry, Stu, you got a day-to-day -day gig here. I, this is neat that you're doing this stuff, but like you you do have to go out and and say, okay, true sort of first principle startup methodology." Yeah, let's go solve this problem. And in the end, young Stu benefits, middle career Stu benefits. <laughs> and now you are, are able to benefit because you can employ and, and, and middle age Stu benefits, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's it's a it's a beautiful thing to be able to find opportunity to to do something that can have a greater effect than the hours you put in your day. Well, I, th I thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I'll say that our team at Omatic generally is aligned with the nonprofit sector. Uh, these are people who are talented uh, engineers, developers, uh, and and even the people that work in our sales and uh, marketing team. These are people that could easily work for companies that serve the insurance industry or the manufacturing industry or anything else. And they've, they, are, they are equally as passionate. They've chosen to work for a company that serves the nonprofit sector because we, we, it's just so important. It's so, it's so important to provide tools and technology that will help them make their processes better.
Now, your I like your role and your title because that's one that I, 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 as a technology evangelist, I, I, uh, I that was but before there was advocacy, it was evangelism, and, and so it's so I always heard a joke said one day I'll. I'll change my title to map to the rest of the world. I'll become a, uh, a developer advocate, which is sort of in the in the tech world, a similar thing. But the idea of advocacy and thought leadership is important in that you're taking, you know, you're representing the larger sort of system through words, writing, communication, and, yeah. and ways to engage with the broader community. And introduce people through, you know, it was a thought leadership is always a funny thing because it's uh there's a lot of people that they use, they say I'm a thought leader. I'm like, if you say you're a thought leader, odds right. are you're, you're not a thought leader. No, no, you're you're absolutely right. It, it, someone's a thought leader when others say they're a thought leader. And I have That's no right. uh I, I I um I this whole thought leadership thing is I've been doing it only for about two years, two and a half years. I I, when I joined Omatic, I was in um, uh, implementations. I ran the implementations team. I've I've graduated uh, to this role, and uh, we had we had a little bit of a uh, struggle coming up with my title. We knew what we wanted me to do, which was to uh, advocate for the sector for for whether they were customers of ours or not. We wanted to know what what their challenges were and build our products uh, and deliver services that address those challenges. So I really very firmly consider myself an advocate for organizations in the nonprofit sector. Uh, and I would encourage anyone, anyone who's uh, watching or listening, if you're in the sector and you want to talk to me, um, I, I love talking to the sector and finding out what makes you tick, what you're, especially in the area of uh, data quality and integration, what your needs are, because that's what a big part of my job is know is trying to, um, get a handle on that so that I can, so that we can build better products. But thought leadership, uh, Eric, to your point, is kind of the evolved advocacy. It's taking all of that information, uh, that interaction with the sector, with your market, and then building thought-provoking questions and answers around it. And so I'm, I'm, I want to say more than dabbling. I'm I'm getting a handle on that, and I I get a handle better and better as each month uh, uh, progresses. Well, the if I were to put somebody at the front, there are two personalities. There's the self-proclaimed thought leader, somebody who's very good at public speaking and storytelling, and that and that's a, that's fantastic, right? There, there are people that are great stage presence, or they're. You know, the real person that I want to carry the title that you carry and the responsibility that you do is somebody like you who's doing everything you describe yourself. You never describe you at the front of anything. Mm. You talk about advocacy and gra graduating into your role and, and being given opportunity. It's magical, right? It's actually rare to have somebody who has put yourself into opportunity but do not take credit for it. it it's it, you are absolutely in the right world, and and I I need the world to contain more stew manowiths. Well, thank uh, you. I I I, I appreciate I appreciate that very much. You know, it, it's 
Um, I don't like to be the center of attention. And so I, I tend to focus on the customer or the the process or uh, and kind of extract me from the situation but uh, but I, I i certainly appreciate your words thank you the uh, i always tell people said so like if the greatest thing i will ever achieve will be helping somebody else achieve their greatest thing they've ever achieved right and it's a it's a great thing when you can do good, right? And you can you can bring something to the world where you can empower people to to achieve more. Now, on the data side, this is the interesting thing too. Obviously, you've got a strong technical background. You led the the services and professional and services and engagement side and implementations. So this is probably a fun, you know, real career positioning, you know, where you can take all that experience and now take those progressions and then bring them back in stories and, and in connecting to the world. It's, it probably does feel exciting. Did you think five years ago that you'd be where you are, are today in, in your career? No, 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 no I didn't. I didn't. And you know what? I, I'll give a plug to our CEO uh, who is Canadian. He's from Toronto. Uh, who uh, Dan Kim, who about two and a half years ago took me aside and said, um, I need someone like you to be our company advocate, to advocate for the sector. And we've never had a position like this. So we're not exactly sure what it's going to look like, but let's partner in building um, uh, uh, used to being our domain expert and subject matter expert and being uh, kind of out in front going to conferences, writing blogs, writing white papers. Uh, the, uh, the irony was, so that was summer of 2019. And of course, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> conferences, you know, kind of went the way of all things during the pandemic. But again, we've done, we've had an opportunity to do virtual conferences and to kind of promulgate our message to, uh, again, a broader spectrum of people than would have ever have come to an in-person conference. So it's a, it's a, there's the benefit to that too. Yeah, but it, I, uh, I was just going to say, sorry, but I have loved that progression that you've reminded me of is kind of being in the field and working on with directly with customers on a one to one basis for so long and then amalgamating all of that experience to be able to tell stories, to figure out how to help organizations that are the organizations that have yet to come. Well, this is the important thing is never disconnecting from that. Uh, and is this is often what happens when folks I, I I work in in tech and and you know the tech evangelist was that one that funny title that everybody's like I want to be a tech evangelist and like so they end up working in technical marketing for a while and then and it's like so I leapt right from working for you know the customer world to going and becoming a technology evangelist for a vendor and it was like as if I bypassed working as a sales engineer and working in technical market, like I just rocketed right through that, but I'd been a blogger, I'd been doing a lot of stuff and understanding how to connect value and, and storytelling and, and such. And every step of the way, I always make sure that never forget, you know, how you got here mm. and never forget who you helped get from their morning to their evening, right? And that's the the customer stories and sitting with customers and listening to them is such an important part. 
advocacy is in fact a two-way, much more inbound than outbound, right? Yeah. And, and it's something that people don't realize. So they see this as like, oh yeah, Stu, he's just a professional speaker. You're like, <laughs> Stu's grounded out in the trenches for a long time. And so he bloody well deserves where he's at. And first of all, and it's earned. And then I guarantee, what, what so how much of your time do you spend still directly connecting to the people that are doing, you know, the thing, I guess, you know, <laughs> well, so one of, one of the, one of my most fun, uh, parts of my job is I get to write case studies. So I interview, uh, we call them customer success stories. I yeah. interview, um, customers who are, who first of all are willing to interested in having their story told. It's, it surprised me actually how many are circumspects. Um, and I, I get it. Um, nonprofits, and I worked at three before I went to the dark side, as I said, um, there, there's a, there's a level of privacy and I, I understand it, but I also, um, expected, uh, organizations to also want to gush about how happy they are not not with our product necessarily but just in general when something's working and so um uh, so there, there's not as many as i as i would have thought but um i love it's so rewarding and exciting to interview customers and then write their story up and then send it back to them and say this is what we want to uh use to help others do what you're doing and it's it's it, that's one of the most fun parts of my job is uh writing our our customer success stories uh and um also i do get pulled in to uh, one one part of my job i would say kind of is uh the universal translator so if we're um if there are people whether it's in um our products team or our sales team or whomever marketing uh, and they need someone who really deeply understands the sector who can help um, help be an intermediary so that everyone's communicating on the same uh, wavelength. I, I was a fundraiser for so many years that when um, something some fundraising function comes up in discussion and there's a uh, there's a lack of clarity. I'll, I may get pulled into a conversation. So I, I love those conversations because then I can let the, the prospect or the customer know that we get it. We have, there are people at Omatic that have walked in their shoes. We know what their challenges are and we can describe solving it in a way that makes sense to them. It's a, uh, there's, it it's funny and i hate to like make it uh like a, a thing of like sales and psychology but it truly does work and i i i do it all the time myself directly because i know i can say i've lived your experience i've walked in your shoes i've been on the other side of the computer running a data center at scale doing whatever it, it gives the a credibility to your thing you're attached to. So ultimately, Omatic benefits because the people that, they, that you're talking to, you can say, look, I literally know what you do because I did it for years. Right. And it builds a comfort with them because they're more likely at that point to be sort of, you know, I don't mean to sound like disarmed, like as like they're more open to discussing things because they 
they you have a peer relationship with them now, right. and it, it it helps. And we speak the language. I I can I can yeah. use terminology and experiences if I need to. That just build a level of confidence and trust. And again, I I I love not that I want to talk to people that are um, that don't get it or that are argumentative or that are uh, uh, circumspect, but I love the opportunity to let to, for people to understand yes we really do have your best interest at heart we really know we really have walked in your shoes and and our technology solutions um will help solve your problems because we know what those problems are and we've designed our solutions with through a nonprofit lens from the bottom up the uh the converted are often the most exciting parts of it, right? It's the it's when somebody comes to you and said, "Stu, I I, I saw what you guys do. Uh, where do I buy it?" You're, yeah, right. It's like, oh, okay, that's neat, but <laughs> like, I I want someone to go like, oh, I don't know if I see a fit. And you're like, no, trust me. When I was doing <laughs> this, I kind of know what it was like, and this is an I, example of I, where I wish I'd had it. And also, they're like, oh, okay, I'm interested. Let's take you know, let's go further. And you're like. All right, I feel excited now. We've converted. Exactly right. it, you know, and, and it's like something as simple as now. Do you have to add um, a bunch of columns to your spreadsheets in order to get them to import? Yeah, that takes me so much time. Well, you know, that's what I used to have to do, and it's and it it just becomes an easy an easy conversation with a lot of confidence and a lot of trust built because of our background in the sector and just knowing knowing what what our customers are living through. And nowadays, especially that we've we've moved to a, a dominantly digital experience, every organization struggled. Uh, you know, the ability to pair up with in-person events and be able to have a presence there gave you visibility. Well, now you know we are using mailing lists and we are using digital outreach. This is the new you know, door to door. This is the new, you know, in-person relationship is we have to begin with digital, mm -hmm. yeah. survive and thrive in digital. And then when an in-person opportunity comes, it's actually further in the engagement, right? So the, the, no, no, the, exactly. I was just thinking the same thing. The relationship has already been established and even built upon yeah. uh, in, in a digital way so that when you do talk to somebody, you've already had email conversations with them. You already know about them. You, I, I mean, bluntly, you can, you know, you can look them up on LinkedIn or Facebook and learn about them and vice versa. It's a two-way street. And so the relationship has been established already. It's a, it's a beautiful familiarity. And when you connect the face to the name, when you get to break bread, uh, you know, and, and press the flesh in, in real life is, you know, what used to be the first stage was, you know, we'd begin there and then move through the digital journey and then hopefully meet again on the other side as a customer. Right. Now it's, it is a great thing for, you know, us to leverage the tools that we have available, do more good with the data we have and then see that that little girl, that little boy, right. yeah. that person that's given a home where they didn't have it, somebody who has a shelter tonight because they they didn't have one last night. When we can connect and really impact the world in small positive ways every day, 
and use what we have, the tools we have, Stu, of data and storytelling and connecting right. it together and, well, and 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 use and and ensuring that the tools that you if you if you're a nonprofit and you're listening, the tools that you're using are going to ensure that your data are right so that the processes that use them do what you want them to do or better and you can engage more people and raise more money and have that available to do more cochlear implant research or i i always go back to buying more basketballs for the underserved uh yeah. so that they can enjoy um you know their after school time uh where they wouldn't otherwise or or any of the nonprofit missions that all of us are familiar with or the things that are important most important to us that uh that statement right there should be in the front of your website it's beautifully said so thank you uh, so Stu, uh thank you very much for this is a great discussion and i really it's been a pleasure and an honor to share time with you if folks want to connect with you what's the best way they can do that uh thanks eric it's been a it's been a great conversation thank you so much for having me um omaticsoftware.com info at omaticsoftware.com uh, you can also email me directly at stew.manowith at omaticsoftware.com. Thank you. Excellent. So this has been great. So definitely, folks, where, however you can get connected. And and this is, if nothing, you can at least be inspired by what any any of us can do in, in some way of connecting the the ends to the day-to-day. -day. The, the tactical stuff, it seems unsexy. Sounds it's, like plumbing. Yes. But... Uh, <laughs> It, it, it we can work some some pretty good magic with it and uh, and when you can see you know a real worldly impact it's uh it's one of my favorite things to be able to 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 do so thank you very much for all that you do Stu. thank you so much eric nice to talk to you